chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I was preparing over the last few days thinking about Father's Day. As you all know, Pastor Gary is in India today and he's busy preaching at churches and at men's conferences and he's a busy guy over there right now. So I have the honor of getting to share with you today and I was preparing over the last few days just talking about thinking of Father's Day and you know, one of the things that I kept thinking was I want to I look at some of the important dads in the Bible. And there was one dad in the Bible that I kept coming back to, and he's kind of an obvious choice, but the more things that I was reading and studying about this guy, the more he stood out to me, and I wanted to talk about him today. And that guy is Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. I want to take some time to look at his life today. And one of the reasons why he's kind of an obvious choice is because even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't know much about church, you haven't been around very long, if you just know the Christmas story, then you might be familiar with Joseph. A lot of us know of Joseph and we know who Joseph was, but the truth is we don't know much about Joseph in general. The Bible gives us really very little detail about the life of Joseph. And so the details that we do have... I want to take some time and I want to look at these today because the things that he did, the role that he played, the responsibility that he carried, I think can encourage us as dads, but it can also help all of us in our walk with God and following Christ today. So before we read from Matthew 1, I just want to make a very brief statement that I think will help everybody to engage with Joseph today. And this is what I want to say. If you're a dad here today and you feel unqualified sometimes as a dad, if you feel overwhelmed sometimes as a dad, if you feel ill-equipped as a dad, take heart today because Joseph was put in a terribly difficult situation. But with the help of God, he was able to be a great father. And there's so many things that we can learn from him because the truth is fatherhood is not always a perfect experience, right? Because we have imperfect kids and we make mistakes sometimes. And sometimes we have to make a bad decision to learn how to make a good decision. Sometimes when real life hits, hey, things can get messy. Things can get challenging. Joseph was no different. He found himself in a messy situation, in a challenging situation. But with the help of God, he was able to be everything that God had called him to be as a father to Jesus. And I want to talk about him today. I want to look at his life and, and grab some things that I think we can learn from him today. So let's read this morning from Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 16. It says in verse 16, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, or engaged or given to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man or a righteous man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Another way of saying that was that when Joseph found out that Mary, whom he was engaged to, was pregnant, and, it was the, and, and he assumed that she had illegitimately gotten pregnant, he had it in his mind that he was secretly going to walk away from this engagement. Okay, Now, look at verse 20. But while he thought about doing that, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this is important. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which is spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being awakened from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary to him, his wife, and did not know her till she had brought, for, brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name 
Jesus. Now, this passage of scripture, it's a longer passage, but I wanted to look at it this morning because this is a passage that most of us only read at Christmas time. It's a passage that kind of introduces the Christmas story, and a lot of us will kind of move right past it throughout the rest of the year, but it's a really important passage if we want to understand Joseph and the role that he played. And today's obviously, obviously not Christmas, so we're not going to get into the Christmas story, and how many know that it doesn't exactly feel like Christmas outside today? So um, since today's Father's Day, I wanted to look at some of this background information that we have on Joseph, and I want to talk about his importance. Now there's something very important that you must understand. When you look at God's plan for bringing Jesus into this world, one thing that's really interesting is that he chose Mary to be the biological mother of Jesus. We don't know why God chose Mary to be Jesus' biological mother. We don't know why he didn't choose somebody else. We don't know if it could have been somebody else that he chose, but for some reason, God chose Mary. Now, when Mary found out that she was going to be with child or that she was with child, what happened was the angel told her that you are blessed and highly favored. Other translations say that you are favored among women. You found favor with God. So what we have to understand about Mary, the mother of Jesus, is that she was specifically handpicked, selected, and chosen to be the biological mother of Jesus. But here's something that we can't forget in all of this. Just as much as she was chosen, handpicked, and selected to be the mother of Jesus, Joseph was absolutely equally chosen, handpicked, and selected by God to be the earthly father of Jesus. It was very, very, very intentional when God chose Jesus. We have to understand that. And the reason I want to say that to you today is because we need to understand and remember that not one parental role is more important than the other. They complement each other. They go hand in hand so that a mother and a father equally together doing this simultaneously can raise kids up to be everything that they were called to be. But this also shows me another thing. Dads, you have been uniquely chosen and specifically handpicked and called to be a father to your children. I want to say that one more time. You have been selected, handpicked, and chosen by God to be the father to the children that he has given you. Now put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. Think about that encounter that he had with the angel. Okay, so it's, it's true what Mary's telling me, that she's not actually pregnant because she's been out being unfaithful. No, it's true that she, like she said, she is with child, and it's been happening miraculously by, miraculously by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, so that would have been a huge burden off of Joseph's shoulders. But at the same time, the angel tells him that you are going to be the earthly father of the Son of God. Think about what a huge responsibility that was. i got to be honest with you for a second. If I was in Joseph's shoes and the angel came to me and said, I'm entrusting you with my son. He's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the chosen one. He's going to save his people. I would have looked at the angel and I would have said, dude, you've got the wrong guy. Why me? Because let's be honest for a minute. Jesus, in order to be the spotless son of God, the one who was sinless and blameless, he would have to grow up and live a spotless, sinless, perfect life. And if you want him to grow up and live a spotless, sinless, perfect life, it seems like you wouldn't entrust him to the care of a sinful, imperfect person. But yet that's what Joseph was. Joseph was still handpicked and selected. Now, I think all the guys here, all the dads in the house, you need to take heart for just a moment. And here's why. Because Jesus was going to be the perfect kid, and yet he still required a father here on earth. And the reason why that's good news is because here's the thing, guys. You and I aren't called to raise up the Messiah. Thank God. Because our kids are going to make mistakes. And we're going to make mistakes. And like I said earlier, sometimes we have to make a wrong decision to figure out how to make a right decision. We have to have God show us what the correct path is for us to take as dads. 
Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we're going to mess up and we're going to miss the mark. But we need to understand that God has called us specifically and destined us to be the stewards of the children that he's given us. Now, I use that word steward, and I want to go a little bit further with this. Because I think when we look at the story of Joseph, we can understand what it is that God is asking us as dads to do. Check this out. This is what Psalm 127 says. A lot of people know this verse. It says in one, Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Look at that again. Children are a heritage from the Lord. A lot of us know that passage. Pastor Gary's talked from that passage before. But the reason I wanted to look at it this morning is because when we see that word heritage, we have to understand what it means. Literally, that word heritage means that children are an inheritance from the Lord. It means that they are a possession from the Lord. It means that they are, and I love this word, they are an heirloom from the Lord. So when Joseph understood that God was entrusting him with something, he wasn't just supposed to be the one who put food on the table, who put clothes on his back and provided shelter. He was actually there to be a steward of God's son. I'm the earthly figure of who you are as the heavenly father. I'm a reflection of who you are in heaven here on earth. Now, when Joseph understood that responsibility, man, that must have felt huge. But I think we have to understand and see this picture to know what it is that God has entrusted us with as dads. I want to think about this and talk about this for just a minute when it says that our children are an inheritance or an heirloom, a possession that we're entrusted with from the Lord. Maybe the word heirloom doesn't hit home with the guys today, but I think it might hit home even more with some of the ladies here today. How many ladies here today, you have an heirloom sitting around or a handful or maybe a lot of heirlooms, things that have been passed down to you from your mom, from your grandmother, from your great-grandmother. I'm sure that there's many women here today that you have your grandmother's wedding ring there in a chest somewhere in your house. Or maybe you have like a china set that's 100 years old that sits in a cabinet. And even though you don't know what it's worth in terms of its its monetary value, it holds value to you because it's been passed down to you by someone else. And so maybe that grandmother's wedding ring that you have in a chest somewhere, or maybe that hundred-year-old china set that you have up in the cabinet somewhere, maybe the monetary value isn't what makes it valuable to you. Maybe the thing that makes it valuable to you is the fact that it was passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation, and now you have it. And because you have it, you realize that it means something to you. And the thing that you have to do is not take it and hawk it at the pawn shop and cash it out for all it's worth. The best thing you can do is care for it and steward it and pass it on to the next generation so that the value of what you now hold is passed on and someone holds on to it and so it can take its place later on down the line. In the same way that we look at heirlooms that way, we have to understand that that's what God is asking us as parents and today specifically as dads, that's what God is asking us to do with our children. God is saying, these are the inheritances that I give you. These are the possessions that I entrust to you on this earth. These are the heirlooms that I give you. They're of value to me. And what I'm asking you to do is keep them in a valuable place, protect them, look out for them, make sure that you hold on to them because they're priceless, valuable possessions. And what I have intended for them down the line is something that I'm entrusting to you. So make sure that they get to the intended destination that I want them to go. Does this make sense to everybody today? That's what that scripture is literally saying when it says that children are a heritage from the Lord. It's like heirlooms that we're entrusted with. And it's not about us cashing them out. That's not what makes them valuable or what we get out of them. What makes them valuable is making sure that they get to their intended destination, which might be years down the road or generations down the road. And as stewards, we have this time in our life where we get to invest in them and make sure that they keep that value and that we're adding value to them, that we're making sure that they're precious possessions that we hold on to and get them 
to where they need to go. I have heirlooms that I will inherit that I'll one day give to my daughter and to my son. By the way, we found out we're having a boy last week. I'm really excited about that. I just wanted to tell you that because I'm really excited and I hope he likes football. So anyway, because I need someone in my house to watch football with. My wife doesn't like football. Okay. Um, but they're possessions, they're heirlooms that are given to us. And so we have to understand that. When we say that children are a heritage from the Lord, we're to care for them and keep them as valuable possessions and make sure that they get to their intended destination. So with all of that in mind today and understanding what it was that Joseph was entrusted with, I want to look at a few interesting facts from the life of Joseph. And some of these things might be new to some of you. Some of you might already know these things. But because Scripture gives us so little, we almost like find fun facts when we look at the life of Joseph. And I want to take some of these fun facts or interesting facts, things that are interesting to me, and I want to unpack these with you a little bit. The first one I want to show you is simply this. Joseph inherited the lineage of David. So in order for Jesus to become the Messiah, he had to come from the line or the lineage of David. Now this would have fulfilled a prophecy that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. We see it in 2 Samuel. We don't have time to go there today, but there was a promise that God made that the Messiah, when he came, would come from the line of David. Now the reason that this is an interesting thing is because if you look at the lineage of Jesus, Mary was his biological mother, but Mary was not of the line of David. So in order for him to become the Messiah, he had to have a father who was of the line of David, and that's why Joseph fit perfectly into God's plan. In order for that prophecy to be fulfilled and him become the Messiah, he had to be of the line of David. Now, I want to spend a few minutes here today because I think that this is really going to help some people and encourage some people. Now, the reason why that is so incredibly important and one of the things that really baffles me is that when you look at this, Jesus would be considered of the line of David in order to be the Messiah, yet he wasn't biologically Joseph's child. And so what God did was God looked at the lineage and he said, you know what, he might not be Jesus' biological father, but I'm grafting him into the family. And when you look back at the lineage of David, one of the things that we have to understand was that God chose an imperfect lineage, a bunch of very imperfect, mistaken, sinful people to fit into this lineage that would get from David all the way up to Joseph and then eventually to Jesus. If you go back and look, you know, we think about David, the psalmist, the shepherd, the mighty warrior. We think about David, the man after God's own heart, and he was that. But another thing you have to understand was that David was a far from perfect man. The guy made all kinds of mistakes. In fact, we see in Scripture that at one point in David's life, there's sin and guilt that's hanging all over him because he was an adulterous murderer. David had this great passion in his heart to build a temple in Jerusalem, and so he wanted to build a house of God, a house of worship there in Jerusalem. And God looked down at David and he said, you know what, you've had so much bloodshed from all the battles and all the wars, and there's so much blood on your hands after all these years that I don't want you to be the one to, choose or to build my temple. I don't choose you to do it. Instead, he chose Solomon, that was David's son, who eventually built the temple there in Jerusalem. And then if you fast forward from David, you see all kinds of imperfect, crazy, messed up people that are in the lineage from David to Joseph to Jesus. In fact, there's a woman in there, and usually when you're talking about the lineage, it's always consisting of men who carry on a bloodline. But in the lineage of David all the way to Joseph to Jesus, there's a woman in there that was a prostitute who was grafted into the lineage. And it's crazy because, again, God grafts somebody in who's imperfect, who's made mistakes, who's messed up. And one of the things that we have to be encouraged in this is to understand that God can use messed up, imperfect people to still execute his perfect plan in the earth. Even you today, dads, God can use imperfect dads today to still execute his perfect plan. Now, 
The reason why I mention all that is because by the time you get to Joseph, you see Jesus being of the lineage of David, yet Joseph not being his biological father. What does God do? God grafts Joseph into the family. And who is Joseph really? Well, if God or the Holy Spirit biologically, that's a, that's a big conversation, is biologically the father of Jesus and Joseph just the earthly father of Jesus, you could look at this and say that Joseph was simply the stepdad of Jesus. And, and I want to break here for just a moment because I want to say this today. Stepdads, foster dads, spiritual dads, you guys play an incredibly important role. And you might feel like you fell into fatherhood in some ways, kind of by default or kind of by accident. But what if God has hand-selected you and grafted you into a situation so that you can help to shape those kids become everything that he has for them to be? Listen, if you're a stepdad today, if you're a, a, a foster dad today, or maybe you're a spiritual dad, you're helping to mentor some, some people, some young kids in the faith into a walk with God. I want to tell you today that we cannot underestimate the importance of the role that you play. Maybe you're a biological father and a stepfather. Maybe you're just a stepfather but not a biological. There's not one that's lesser than the other. If God has placed you in that role and he's grafted you into that family, he's done it intentionally, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we get these heirlooms that he's given us to the place he wants them to go. So don't think of yourself as lesser than today's stepdads, spiritual dads, foster dads. The role that you play is huge. The role that you play is equally important as any other dad. And so the great call that we have as dads, if we're going to be stewards, just like Joseph, is that we have to reflect the love of the heavenly father as earthly fathers to our kids. I want to say that one more time. I think it's the greatest responsibility that we will have as dads. Sure, we got to put food on the table. we got to put clothes on their back. we got to provide shelter. But the greatest responsibility that we will have as dads is to reflect the love of the heavenly father as earthly fathers to our kids. That's our greatest responsibility. And one of the things that I've been finding over time is that I can't reflect the love of a heavenly father unless I'm receiving it from my heavenly father so that I can give it to my kids. And I want to take a moment and I just want to expand on this just a little bit. Every single day when I come home, my wife will tell you this. This is kind of my routine. I love to do this. The best 20 minutes of my day, the best 20 minutes of my day every day are when I walk home and I take my bag off my shoulder and I set it down and I take my keys and my wallet and my phone out of my pockets and I set it down on the counter and I walk in and my little girl is always running around the house playing somewhere in the house and I walk in and I just lay down on the floor. I don't have to go into the room that she's in. I don't have to chase her to the other side of the room. As soon as I walk in and I lay down on the living room floor, she sees me, she sees that I just laid down there and full speed ahead, she comes running as fast as she can and jumps head over heels and lands right on top of me. And even when it hurts when she does that, we have about a 20-minute wrestling match every day right there on the living room floor. As soon as I get home, and I got to tell you, that's the best 20 minutes of my day. Now, I know that that's the ah moment, but there's a reason why I'm telling you this. I never understood how much God loves me and wants to spend time with me and wants to have an affectionate relationship with me until I reached a place where the thing I wanted more than anything else was just to spend time with that little girl. When I come home every day and I lay down on the floor and she runs in there and she jumps on top of me and she takes her chubby short little arms and she wraps them around my neck and she nuzzles her face up into my neck and does this and laughs and I kiss her on the neck and she laughs and giggles because it tickles and she says, Daddy, guys, you know there ain't nothing in the world like that. Ain't nothing like it. Moms, you know it too. Nothing in the world like it. 
And the hardest thing is when I get home some days and I lay down on the floor and she doesn't run to me. I love the days when she does, but when she's busy with something else. And I want to say this to all the dads, and I hope I got your attention with this right now. Dads, when we talk about spending time with God, when we talk about praying, when we talk about worship, and I say this very, very respectfully, okay? But a lot of that, when we talk about it, we've feminized it so much that it makes guys feel like, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend quiet time with God and fall at his feet and cry on, you know, with tears. And I, that doesn't sound like something that guys do. Like, I don't want to do that. And sometimes we feminize this to the point that, guys, we feel like it's awkward to spend time with God. But one of the things I'm understanding is that if I have this great desire in my heart just to be there with that girl, how much does the Heavenly Father just desire to spend time with me? Just desire to be near me. And on the days that go by where I, I don't talk to God, maybe I don't get into his word, and maybe I don't say anything to him at all, I wonder if it's like God coming and laying down on the living room floor and we just walk right past like we've got other things to do. Because one of the things that i found is that when I'm laying there on the living room floor wrestling around with my little girl, it doesn't matter what happened at the office. That stuff just kind of falls to the side. It doesn't matter how filthy her playroom is because she's pulled every single little toy out and thrown it on the floor. Nothing's important, just being there and laying with that little girl. It doesn't matter what a big mess her room is or if there's something that we need to do that evening. Everything else falls away because the most important thing is just being there with her. Everybody knows how that feels. I want to tell you, how much greater does God want to just spend time with us? And sometimes we just walk right past him. It's not a weird thing to spend time with God. It shouldn't be an uncomfortable thing to spend time with God. It's no different than the way that we want to spend time with our kids. God just wants to hang out with us. And the only way that we can reflect the love of the Heavenly Father as earthly fathers to our kids is if we're receiving that same love from our Heavenly Father. Can I tell you something today, dads? We need to make a commitment to spending time with God so that we can show our kids what the love of God is. We need to do it. Because here's the thing, it ain't hard, it ain't weird, it's not uncomfortable. It's just hanging out with God in the same way that we would wanna hang out with our kids. He wants to hang out with us. He wants to spend that time with us. He wants to have that quality time with us and we have to make that commitment. Now, that's an interesting fact that we see about the life of Joseph is that he comes from the lineage of David and God grafts him in to the lineage and to the family. But here's the second fact I want to show you from the life of Joseph. This is what it says. It says that the work of Joseph and Jesus throughout the Gospels was this work of carpentry. If I asked you what it was that Jesus did for a living before he started his earthly ministry, you would say that Jesus was a carpenter. Here's a fun fact for you. If you actually go back and you look, I say this is fun. I'm like the guy that likes to study these things, but if you were to go back and look throughout scripture, there's a word that's used there for carpenter. Carpenter is actually an assumed English word here in our writings that we read in the Bible. The original Greek word there is this word tekton. And a more accurate word or translation for that today would be technician or craftsman. There's actually not a word there that shows us that Jesus worked with wood. It's kind of an assumed thing. And in the part of the world where Jesus and Joseph lived, it's very, very likely that Jesus and Joseph could have been stone craftsmen and, and used and built with stone more than wood. We don't really know for sure. The truth is, it doesn't really matter. All we know is that Jesus and Joseph were both craftsmen. And Jesus inherited that trait from Joseph. Now, the reason I want to say this to you today is because I want to establish a principle really quick. And this isn't going to sound very spiritual to some of you, but I want to show you how it is in just a moment. Dads, one of the greatest responsibilities that we need to pass off to our kids is to give them a strong work ethic. Let me say that one more time. We need to pass on a strong work ethic to our kids. 
Now, a lot of people hear that and you say, well, that doesn't sound all that spiritual. Let me show you why it is spiritual, okay? This is what Genesis 2 says. It says that God put Adam and Eve in the garden. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend or work in the garden and keep it. When Adam and Eve were put in that garden, it wasn't just this beautiful paradise where they sat around and did nothing. They had to work to tend and keep that garden. It was at the heart of God's creation that men would work, that all of us would work. Proverbs 14.23 says, In all labor there is profit. But idle chatter leads only to poverty. This is really heavy right here. Listen to this. This is Proverbs 6, verse 6. It says, go to the ant or look at the ant, you sluggard. Wow, that's a strong word. Consider her ways and be wise, which which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, you sluggard? Man, another strong word there. You lazy person, when will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Man, that's some really, really strong language. But that's not all. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says this, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might or work at it with all of your might is what other translations say. Colossians 3 says this, And whatever you do, do it heartily or work at it with all your might as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, this is one that all of us know, and it sounds really Old Testament, but you might be surprised to find out that this is New Testament. If anyone will not work, neither shall they eat. Let's just say it plainly. If you don't want to work then you must not want to eat. See, the whole idea of a work ethic is not just this law, physical law that's put in place. It's a spiritual principle that we see all throughout Scripture from the very beginning to the very end of the New Testament. Now, the reason I tell you all of this is because we were just talking about the trade that Joseph handed off to Jesus. If you look at the life of Jesus and you look at his ministry, you see that Jesus and Joseph are both identified as carpenters. Later on when Jesus goes into ministry, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, later on as Jesus goes into ministry, we see that he goes to Capernaum and he goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And when people hear him teaching, they're blown away with the things that he's saying and what he's claiming to be. And they look at him and they say, is this not the son of Joseph, the carpenter? In Mark's Mark's account, what it says is that they looked at Jesus and said, is this not the carpenter? In other words, Jesus was identified just like his father, identified with his trade and the work that he did. It was his identity. It was part of who he was. And that was something that first century Jews, men did that with their sons. They passed on their trade to the next generation so that they would have something that they could do to help them earn a living. But it was also a societal thing so that the society would have people who had different trades and different crafts among them so that needs could be met in the community. Jesus was identified by his trade and by the work that he did. He inherited that from his father. And it's important for us to understand this because when you look later on at the ministry of Jesus, what you see is that Jesus was tenacious in the way in which he went about doing his ministry. He worked tirelessly. One of my favorite stories in the Bible we've talked about before is when Jesus feeds 5,000 out of some fish and some bread. He takes a little boy's lunch, he miraculously multiplies it, he blesses it, and he feeds it to more than 5,000 people. The background of that story is that the disciples have been commissioned and sent out on this little crusade where they've gone their different ways to minister to different people. And they come back and Jesus tells them, let's get away. Let's go rest and relax and and get away a little bit. 
But a multitude begins to follow Jesus. And the Bible says that as this multitude is following Jesus, the disciples are tired and weary and worn out. And they want to walk away and rest. And they want to quit. And they want to go get something to eat. And they want to take a little snooze to get away from the crowds that are following him. But the Bible says that Jesus looked at this crowd and he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion for them. And it didn't matter how tired these guys were. Jesus saw that his calling and his purpose and his destiny were right in front of him. And he said, I'm not going to quit. I don't care how tired you guys are. I'm not going to stop. I don't care how hungry you guys are. These people are here and they need to receive something from me. I've been called to do this. I have the work ethic to do it. So we're going to push through this and we're going to get the job done. And when the disciples wanted to quit, Jesus performed a miracle and fed over 5,000 people. And throughout his ministry, what we see is that that work ethic that his father instilled in him rang true throughout his ministry. And what's important to understand is simply this. Dads, we put in a lot of hours sometimes. You might be at a place in your life right now where you're putting in a lot of time. How many commuters do we have in the house? Like you commute, you spend a lot of time in the car throughout the week. Anybody? I know there's probably a lot more than that because the statistics in our community are pretty stunning of how many people drive a long way to get to work. But what's really fascinating about it is that we invest this time into our work and into our jobs so that we can have what we have as a family, so that our families can be provided for. And when I look at that, one of the things that I have to understand is that when my kids are young and I'm making a sacrifice by putting in long hours, or maybe I commute a long way to work, or maybe I have to work some overtime, or maybe sometimes I have to work on the weekend, we all have to find that balance of making sure that work and family are healthy but the truth is, if we can make that sacrifice now, later down the road, our kids will appreciate the sacrifice that we made then because they'll be able to look around and say, I have what I have because my dad was faithful, because my dad was dedicated, because my dad got up to work and went every single day. And later on in life, we'll be able to have more because we'll have fruit for our labor. When you look at the ministry of Jesus, we understand that he inherited a work ethic from his father. And we should be doing the same with our kids, passing on a work ethic. I want to tell you something. We're getting to a place in society where we're becoming very, very entitled. Well, this is just America and we deserve a good life. No, we have what we work for. We will have what we work for. We will have fruit if we have labor. I was thinking back, you know, Pastor Gary likes to talk about his dad, my grandfather a lot. I miss my grandfather. He passed away a few years ago and he was kind of an old redneck from Oklahoma and that's just like the nicest way to say it. <laughs> He was totally, you know, from off the beaten path. If you were to have a conversation with him, you wouldn't understand half of what he said because he had like this old southern backwoods slang and it's just funny. But my grandfather was the hardest working guy I think I've ever met. And later on in his life, he was able to retire as a result. And I looked at how later in his life he was able to live comfortably. You know, I went through this season of life where I was navigating childhood into adulthood and it was a bit awkward. It was a bit weird. And I remember my grandfather had done me some real favors in helping me to get into adulthood and get into a good place. And I looked at what he had, and I just assumed that one day life will be like that for me. Things will be good. I'll be taken care of when I'm older in life. And one of the things that I found is that if I don't work hard now, I'm not going to have anything later on down the road. And there was this old country song. I laugh and say that because a lot of you know that I like country music. You can hold that against me if you want. I don't care. But there was this old country song that reminded me so much of my grandfather, and it said, Granddaddy was a hillbilly scholar, blue collar of a man. He came from a school where you didn't eat nothing if you couldn't make it with your own two hands. He was backwoods and backwards, and he used words like, no, sir, yes, ma'am, by God, be darn. That was my grandpa. That's how the song went. Later on in that song, it says, in all the years he walked this earth, I swear, all he did was work. 
When I think back to my grandfather, that's what I think of. I think of a guy that could never sit still. He was always working on something. There was always a new project. There was always something that he was doing and working on that kept him busy. And up until his dying day, he was always working on something. But one of the things that I understood later on in life is that he was able to live a good life later on in his years because he put in a whole lot of work leading up to that in the years before. And it is a spiritual principle, dads, moms, that we teach our kids a strong work ethic because if they don't want to work, then they might not be eating later on down the line. Somebody like that one. Jesus learned it from his father, his earthly father. And when you look at it, it's no surprise that God put Joseph in that place to show Jesus what it meant to have a strong work ethic. Now, let's move on to the last thing because I'm running out of time this morning. But the last thing that I want to show you, this is an interesting fact when you look at the life of Joseph and the look at the life of Jesus. Joseph is put in place by God to be the earthly father of Jesus. But by the time Jesus is 12 years old, the last time we see the name Joseph or the, father, the, the earthly father of Jesus mentioned in Scripture is when Jesus is 12. He's not mentioned ever again after that. When Jesus is 12, the Bible says that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast, feast as was their custom. They left town and they got a day's journey away and realized, oh my gosh, we forgot the Son of God. We've lost the Messiah. That was probably kind of a big deal. I'm sure that Joseph really started praying then. It says they turned around, went back to Jerusalem, they found him in the temple. That's the last time that Joseph is mentioned in Scripture. Now, the reason why that's important today is because a moment ago I was telling you about how Jesus, when he went out into ministry in Capernaum and Nazareth, he was identified as, Joseph, as the son of Joseph the carpenter, carpenter, or in Mark's account, Jesus was identified as the carpenter. See, a lot of people in Jesus' hometown, and even in Capernaum, when Jesus went out, they didn't recognize him as the son of God. They recognized him as the son of Joseph. And one of the things that was happening was there was this transi transition moment where Jesus was stepping out of his earthly father's, father's shadow and into his heavenly father's calling. The day was coming where people had to decide that this was no longer just the son of Joseph, but that this man was the Messiah, the son of God. That's the decision and the thing that was being confronted with people as he began to talk about who he was, as he began to perform great miracles. People were faced with the reality that I have to decide who he is. And what's funny about it is there's this transition that happens where he's out of his father, earthly father's shadow and stepping into his heavenly father's calling. Now, here's what I want to show you from this. I think every single one of us know what it's like to step out of childhood and into adulthood. Can we all just admit for a moment that it's kind of an awkward transition when we're moving from childhood into adulthood, because I, I was telling first service this, don't you parents just wish that like God would supernaturally when your child turns 18, like they wake up tomorrow when they're 100% responsible and they can pay their bills by themselves and they have a career and they have a job and their schooling is finished and like they're all good and they can just step out and you could say, go ahead, move out of our house. Like, wouldn't it be great if God just snapped his finger, like on the day you turned 18, like that's part of what the ritual was, is tomorrow he's going to wake up and he's going to be a new man. He's going to be 100% responsible. He's going to be pay all his bills, honey. We don't have to keep spending money on these kids. Like, wouldn't it be great if that's how it was? It would be, but that's not the reality. I got to be honest, by the time I turned 18, I walked about five, six, seven more years before I actually knew what I wanted to do with my life. And Jesus started his ministry at 30 years old, okay? Now, 
When we see Jesus in that ministry and people are identifying him as the carpenter or as the son of Joseph, when in reality he's stepping into his ministry as the son of God, it represents this awkward transition where no longer will people identify him by his earthly father, they'll identify him by his heavenly father. Isn't that the way it's supposed to go for us? When we're growing up, we have dads in place that help us to understand what it means to walk with God. We have dads in place that put food on the table and shelter over us and clothing on our back. They help us to make good decisions. They help us to build good habits. They help us to to become who it is that we're supposed to be. But then one day, the day comes where earthly dads have to let go and let the kids step out of their earthly father's shadow and into their heavenly father's calling. See, at some point in Jesus' life, Joseph disappears from the picture. We don't know exactly what happened, but what we know is that when Jesus died on the cross, he looked down at John the Apostle and he said, John, this is your mother, talking about Mary. And he said, Mary, this is your son, John. In other words, John, care for my mother Mary because apparently there was no other man in the picture. Today, maybe Father's Day is hurtful for you. Maybe when you think about Father's Day or when you woke up this morning, you thought about something that's hurtful in the past, something that's happened. Maybe you think about loss. Maybe there's sorrow that overtakes your day. I want to tell you something. Jesus can 100% relate to what it is that you are going through because when Jesus was at the most difficult time in his life, his earthly father was not there and nowhere to be found. And somewhere around there, Jesus experienced loss that many of us in this room can relate to today. And yet he went through with it. But there comes this place in life where earthly fathers, we have to let go of our kids and help them step into their heavenly father's purpose for their life. I'm just, out about, just about out of time this morning, but the last thing I want to share with you today is simply this. In closing, I remember when I was a kid, when I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher that did this exercise with us one day, and I, I think I've told this story before, but he did this exercise with us, and I went to a Christian school, and I was in elementary school, and he circled us up in the room, and we went around the circle, and he asked each and every one of us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there was a lot of kids already when they were young that knew exactly what they wanted to be, even at a very young age. And one of the things that's funny is there was a lot of us in the room that day when they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? That we just told the truth and we're like, I don't know. And I remembered feeling like I should get an F for that part of the day, you know, because it, it sounds like you're not giving any effort. But I honestly, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life when I was a kid. And we would go around the room and the teacher would say, well, do you want to be a police officer? Do you want to be a firefighter? And when he got to me, he said, what do you want to do, Zachary, when you grow up? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, well, do you want to be a police officer? Do you want to be a firefighter? Do you want to be a mailman? Do you want to be in the military? What do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. But then he looked at me and he asked me a question that so many people in my life have asked me when I was a kid. He said, do you want to be a preacher? The only reason he asked me that question was because he knew that my dad was a preacher. And it's funny, throughout the course of my life, I've been asked that question so many times. And it always like it was the stigma, this thing that hung around me because I felt like I don't even know if I want to do that. When I was 25 years old, I knew that I wanted to do that because there was nothing else in the world that I was as passionate about as doing that. But there's one person in my life who never asked me that question and never told me I needed to be a preacher or need to be a pastor. And that was my dad. Because when I was a kid, my dad wouldn't ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? He would just tell me, son, I want you to be whatever God wants you to be when you grow up. We've said this lots of time in this church, and I want to say it again today. A lot of people look at the fivefold ministry and say, that's the highest calling of God. The highest calling of God is whatever it is that God has called you to do. That is the highest calling of God for your life. (laughs) 
I'm saying that today, dads, it's kind of hard sometimes when we have to let go of our kids, let them get out from under our shadow and step into the purpose that their heavenly father has for them. But it's the natural order of things. And it's what God has required us to do. There comes a day where we have to take those precious heirlooms that are so valuable to us and we're so worried that they're going to get broken when we let go of them. We're so worried that they might get dropped and messed up and something might scratch and dent and, and maybe they'll lose their value. But what we have to do is we have to learn to trust God because he's entrusted us with them for a certain amount of time. And then the day comes where we have to let go and say, okay, God, I let go of them, get rid of them from being under my shadow and let them step into the purpose that you have for their lives. It's the natural order of things. And dads, if that's a hard thing, I want to tell you that God's with you because he took a man like Joseph who was totally imperfect, grafted him into the family and said, I give you the highest responsibility and with the help of God, he was able to do it. There's hope for us today. There's hope for us today. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your house. God, on Father's Day, we honor you first, Father God, and recognize you for who you are in our lives. We thank you not just for the good things that you've done for us, but who you are. You're worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy of our lives. We give our lives to you. God, I pray for dads today who are in different stages of life, maybe some who are hurting and feeling sorrowful today. I pray that you would comfort them, that you would bring peace to them, that you would bring answers to them, that you would guide them and direct them and help them to become the dads that you've called them to be. I pray that you would strengthen and provide for other dads in this place today so that they can provide and strengthen their families. I pray that you would bless fathers here today. But above all else, I pray that we would receive your love, Heavenly Father, so that we can reflect it as earthly fathers to our children in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed just for one more moment, I want to ask you today where it is that you stand in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Maybe your relationship with the Heavenly Father feels distant because of things that have happened in your life with your earthly father. Maybe your earthly father hasn't exactly reflected the Heavenly Father all that well in your life. And because of that, you feel like you don't have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Or maybe you're here today, you have wonderful parents, but because of some of your own choosing and some of your own decisions, you find yourself in a place today where you feel really far from God. I want to tell you that there's grace for that today. There's grace. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of God's glory. We've all missed the mark. But God loved us so much as his sons and his daughters that he sent his very best son, Jesus, the perfect one, the sinless one, the spotless one, to take our place on a cross, to die a death that we deserved so that sin could be cleansed from our lives, that thing which was separating us from God. And we could step into a relationship with him in this life, find his purpose, and have his peace for all of eternity. If you're here today and you're not walking in that relationship with Jesus, you feel far from God, I would love to introduce you to him today. When we do that, we step into that relationship by believing in our heart that he's our savior, that he died on the cross, that God raised him from the dead. And by saying it with our mouth and confessing him as our Lord and savior and choosing to walk with him. We're gonna pray a prayer in just a moment. And I wanna invite everybody today, whether you're doing this for the first time, maybe you're recommitting your life to Jesus today, or maybe you're walking with God. We're all gonna pray this together. But what's important is that you mean this with everything inside of you and you say it with your mouth. So I wanna ask if you would repeat these words after me and say, dear Jesus, I thank you for taking my place on the cross. I thank you, God, that you raised Jesus from the dead so that I could have hope for all of eternity. So today I wanna walk with you. I wanna learn your ways. I wanna find your purpose and I wanna discover your peace. 
I pray that today you would change me from the inside out and make me everything that you want me to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, if you prayed that prayer and in your heart you made a decision to walk with Jesus, whether it's for the first time or you've recommitted your life, today I want to tell you that we want to help you in your journey and help you start walking with God or continuing that walk with God. We're going to be done here in just a couple of minutes, so please hang tight with us for just a second. It's a really important moment. I just want to say that if you have made that decision today, we want to help you. We want to give you a free gift just to help you in your walk with God. Right after service, we're going to have some prayer teams that are going to be right down here. We have a small book called The Next Seven Days that we would love to put in your hand. Maybe you have a need, you want someone to pray with you. You can come down to one of these prayer teams, let them know, hey, I just need someone to pray with me, tell them what's going on. Maybe you don't want to tell them much, but you just need someone to pray. That's cool too, you can do that. But let them know, I made a decision today and I want to get the book. They'll give it to you, it's a free gift. We don't need anything from you. If you're in a hurry today and you got to go quickly, please stop by the Connection Center, the circle out in the foyer. Let them know, I made a decision in my heart today and I want to get the book. We want to give it to you, it's a free gift. We just want to help you start walking with God today. Thank you so much for making that decision. A lot of people in the house, this house have already done that. So I'm going to ask everybody that's following Jesus today, can we put our hands together and welcome people into God's family?